Welcome to Orphans No More, a media extension of Justice for Orphans, a ministry dedicated to rally the church for the cause of the fatherless, inspiring, educating, and equipping believers to care for vulnerable children, and supporting those who have heard and heeded the call of James 127. Here's your host, Sandra Flack. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. Well, that is Isaiah 42, verse 16. Welcome to Orphans No More, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children in crisis through adoption, foster care, and kinship care. I am your host, Sandra Flack. Thank you for joining me today. If I sound a little different, I am recording remotely from the beautiful Adirondacks of upstate New York. So I'm actually recording this whole conversation today via Zoom. So uh, I I hope the sound quality is good for you. I think it will be. Um, I'm grateful that you joined me today. Uh, And I love getting emails from listeners. So please keep sending them in. Some of you Uh, have been sharing what this podcast means to you and how you are encouraged by it. Some of you ask questions, which I personally respond to. Uh, So please reach out if you have a question or if you'd like to schedule a call to connect with me, uh, or maybe you'd like to just share your story and potentially be a guest on this show. I'm always looking for good guests who can inspire and encourage our listeners. So reach out to me by email at sandraflackjfo at gmail.com, or you can also connect with me through our website, justicefororphansny.org. Now, I hope you got a chance to listen to last week's show. Suzanne Emery, an adoptive mom and facets facilitator, I call her an FASD expert, was our guest for episode 313. If you are an adoptive parent or foster or kinship caregiver, you will not want to miss my conversation with Suzanne, so be sure to go back and listen to that episode. And next week, I am going to be sharing the trials and triumphs of parenting teens with fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. There's lots going on here to update you on. Um, I My husband and I continue to parent our two youngest adopted sons, both diagnosed with FAS. Uh, So we've been uh, battling some trials, but celebrating some triumphs. Uh, So I want to bring you up to speed to just encourage you, uh, let you know that I'm in the trenches, just like so many of you. Um, So we experience trials every day, uh, several times a day, but on occasion, there's a triumph, and I want to encourage you with those too. So uh, be sure to subscribe to this podcast to make sure that you do not miss an episode, uh, including next week's episode, uh, talking about trials and triumphs with our teens. Today, I have another amazing adoptive mom guest. Kelly Rowdenbush is mom to three biological children and one daughter adopted from China. She's also the executive director of the Sparrow Fund, a nonprofit she co-founded with her husband, Mark, in 2011. Kelly spearheads the Sparrow Counseling Program for foster and adopted children and their families. 
Please welcome to the show, Kelly Rowdenbush. Hey, Kelly. Hi, Sandra. It's nice to talk to you today. Oh, it's been wonderful getting to know you and learning more about what you do to support families who are on that adoption foster care journey. Um, Mm -hmm. And I love to start at the beginning of um, each guest's story, the beginning of your journey. You and your husband, Mark, have three biological children, and then you adopted. What led to you to pursue adoption? Um, Well, I will say, like, I I make the joke often that my husband um, was happy with two. (laughs) You know, we had our boy and a girl and he was like, we're good. Um, And I just like did not feel like we were done. Um, We had a lot of trouble um, starting a family biologically. Um, Those two that we had in the beginning, um, it was hard. Uh, We had four miscarriages. And when we were pregnant with our third, um, we were told that we were miscarrying. At that point, we were high risk. So we were going to specialists and getting blood work and ultrasounds um, like every other day. And some of you probably listening have been through that journey, which is, um, you know, a whole nother lengthy conversation to talk about how to navigate that. But um, we were told that we were miscarrying. And that day we went out to lunch and we were like, you know what? We've always had an interest in adoption. We've always talked about it. Um, I think it's time that we do that, that we kind of put aside trying hard to make this um, work biologically again. Um, And we grow our family through adoption. Um, When we went back to the doctor the next week for a follow-up, there was still a heartbeat. Uh, we weren't expecting, um, which was kind of weird at that point because we were like excited, you know, that our, our baby was, um, there and there, that there was life. Um, but also kind of like in this conflicted tension of feeling like God had brought us to the place with that. We were ready to move forward with adoption. Um, so we had that, um, child that was our, our third born, a boy, And, um, on his first birthday, actually, um, my husband came home from work that day and said, I feel like we would be disobedient if we didn't move forward, um, with adopting. Mm -hmm. Um, so we, I was already like it, all it took was him saying that. And then I was like, sign on the dotted line. You know, (laughs) I I was ready to go. Um, because I, I really did feel like even while I was pregnant with our third, that I was very certain um, that the Lord was leading us to grow our family through adoption as well as biologically. Yeah. Now you had a dream at one point. Tell us about that. Yes. So the the adoption um, journey was definitely a bit of a windy one. Um, When we had two children before I was pregnant with our third, we started talking about adoption um, as something I had always been interested in it. In fact, my my mother not long ago found a a bunch of papers from my childhood and she found a list of goals from 1989, (laughs) I think, or 87. I was 1987, I was 11 years old and I had a list of goals. And on that list was to adopt a baby. 
<laughs> so oh. I had always had an interest in adoption. Um, so we had a son and a daughter at this point. Mark and I were talking about adoption. He had gone to a wedding and sat with a couple um, who uh, had chosen to adopt to grow their family from plan A, um, had not tried to grow it biologically. And so we were talking about it that night. And um, I had a dream that night. Uh, and while we were talking about it, mind you, in my head and verbalized to my husband, I said, we need, we need a boy from Russia. That's what we need. We, we had a son and a daughter. I was convinced that my son needed a brother. Um, and I, I just had it in my head that that's what, that's the, the direction we should go. And then I went to bed that night and I had a dream, um, that I was in my bed where I was wearing what I was wearing, which was kind of strange. I've never had a dream like this since. So it's not like I had, I, frequently have visions or anything like that. You know, this was a, a one of a, one of a kind type of experience for me and a child approached our bed calling me mom and her, her name was Lydia. Obviously it was a girl named Lydia and she was Asian. And I woke up and I said to my husband, well, that's funny because I don't want like a girl from China, which in my head, that's who she was not, you know, that's what I was picturing in the dream. Like, I don't want a girl from China. I want a boy from Russia. Isn't that funny? And we kind of just let that be. That was maybe two, two years before we started the adoption process. It was, you know, before we conceived our son and maybe about five years before we ultimately brought home a girl from China. <laughs> so, you know, once we had a, our third biological child and he was a boy and I was like, okay, I, I don't think we need a boy from Russia. Like I was picturing, um, because we have this, you know, beautiful son that we had biologically. And, um, at the time, then my parents were doing work in China. We had a connection with China and I realized how important that cultural connection and the relationships were. And, um, we decided to adopt from China. <laughs> so you did adopt a baby yes. girl from China. Did yeah. you name her Lydia by any of chance? We did. Yes. <laughs> named her Lydia. And I love the name, not just because it was in my dream. Um, I've always loved the name, but I found that it was like particularly significant to me, um, given the fact that the name means princess, which I love, um, particularly for a child who you're bringing into your family through adoption. And Lydia in the New Testament was the first Gentile um, woman grafted into the family of God. And so I found that it was um, like really meaningful to me and to our family to have um, our daughter through adoption be named Lydia. I love how God weaves those stories, you know? So how old was Lydia um, when you adopted her? She was um, just over a year old. Um, she was like 12 and a half months the day we met her. And when we brought her home, she was 13 months old, um, adopted from the special needs program in China. She came to us with um, a heart condition and diagnosed stateside as failure to thrive. Um, she was very small and had an extended um, season while she was in China of not um, growing at all. Um, she's now 12. 
and like thriving all over the place. So um, <laughs> she's very healthy um, and doing really well. Oh, that is wonderful. What was the adjustment like when you, when you brought her home? Um, I was prepared or I thought I was prepared. Let's put it that way. I thought I was prepared for, um, all the challenges mm-hmm. with, uh, her attachment and the effect of institutionalization and early trauma. Um, I had my master's in counseling. I was very well versed, I thought, in attachment. Um, So I was like really ready for um, her to struggle. I was not really ready for the impact that that would have on me and kind of that, um, the dance between us and how her struggle would create um, some hardship in me, um, which would then increase the struggle. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't prepared for that reciprocality of attachment. I thought I was really prepared for her, um, for her struggle. And in all honesty, she didn't struggle as much as I thought she would. Um, I struggled a lot more. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So how, um, in what ways did you struggle? Can you, can you just give us an example? Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to give an example. And I also want to say, um, my, all of my children, all four of them uh, have heard this story. They, they know, um, and I'm, we're all very open about it. So, um, nothing that I'm sharing, um, would surprise any of my kids. I, I like to kind of, um, clarify that when I share this, that, that it's, it's with permission and understanding from my family as well. When I share these stories, um, which really are more about me than them. And I think that's part of why it helps. Um, but, uh, I brought her home and, um, it felt very different for me than it did with when I, you know, when I brought home my biological children, I felt like a really competent mom with my biological children, perhaps um, maybe uh, more competent than I was, but I felt (laughs) like I was competent. Um, I breastfed my kids. Um, I knew how to settle them when they were upset. Um, When I brought, when we brought Lydia home, I shouldn't say I, when we brought Lydia home, um, I didn't know how to settle her. Like I didn't have those, um, those, kind of basic, what I thought were basic. I didn't have those basic ways of like comforting her that I knew how to do with my biological children. And so I felt like there was a distance between us. Um, Mm. and I, it took me a while to even name it. Um, I just like, didn't quite feel like I was her mom for a while. Interestingly, my husband did not struggle at all. Um, he felt like very attached to her from the beginning. Um, and, and she responded to him in kind. Um, I think that's probably why she responded to him is, is he felt like there was not a distance. And that I think was really helpful for both of us. And, and he was, um, very accepting of where I was and my process and, um, you know, encouraged me there and walked with me through it. And, um, It was like a very weird, uh, hard to name kind of ordinary process of, I was 
out shopping with her one day. We were home maybe 10 months or something like that, maybe close to a year. I was shopping. I had her in a carrier, like on my side. And all of a sudden I noticed that I was playing with her hair. And as I noticed myself doing it, I had this like instantaneous awareness of like, I'm her mom and she's my daughter. Mm. And it was a very natural kind of way to relate to her. Like I would have done with any of my children. Mm-hmm. And it, it was like this sudden awareness that I had like text my husband and I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I, I feel good. I feel good. Um, and of course it's grown tremendously since then, but at that moment is kind of when I noticed something very, very simple and every day, um, and noticed the, the extraordinary kind of connection that was happening in the, in the very ordinary interaction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that when we, the light kind of goes on for us, right? Like, Oh, I'm right. present. I'm, I'm in this. Yeah. I, it probably had been happening before that, but I wasn't as aware. And yeah. it was just in that moment, I got a glimpse of it and it really kind of um, changed the trajectory of where we were headed. Yeah. Wonderful. So you said she's Lydia's 12 now and, yes. and, and growing and thriving and um, well, she's still teeny tiny, <laughs> but growing she's her, her uh, spirit and personality way um, extend past her frame. I'll say that. <laughs> I have one of those two actually. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that is wonderful. And she's, and she's, how is she doing she's, school? Is everything good? Yeah, she's doing great. I mean, I, she and her older sister, who um, my my second born, um, my first girl, she's seven. Oh gosh, I was going to say seventeen. She's eighteen now. She just turned eighteen. She's graduating from high school this year. They have always shared a room, even though we have a guest room. They've always stayed in the same room together and are best friends. And um, I think that relationship has been perhaps the most, um, impactful besides, you know, my husband and mine with, with our daughter to help her with her transition and her growing and learning what it means to be in a family. That's wonderful. I love that. So now our stories, Kelly are similar because my family's adoptions led to us establishing justice for orphans, the ministry that sort of hosts this podcast, Um, And your adoption of Lydia led to the Sparrow Fund. So tell us how that happened. Yeah, um, it may not be as as an exciting story as as you might imagine, because I mean, part of it, I would say, started with my husband just like not liking his job. He was in like working in in finance. Um, He wanted to do something that... um, he felt like his gifts were, were more utilized. And um, we brought Lydia home and we realized we had had so much support in the adoption process leading up to the adoption. And then we got home and felt very much like we were just kind of given a pat on the back and like, all right, there you go. Good luck. <laughs> Have fun, <laughs> you know, type of thing. And we didn't know what we were doing. And felt very much alone. Um, I don't know. I'm, perhaps every local area is different. But like when we had three kids, like people invited us to dinner still, you know, and then we had four kids and people were like, now that's a lot of kids. 
<laughs> a lot of people to invite over and um our friendships you know change i mean people were very supportive i don't mean to make it sound like they weren't i think they were supportive it was just that life like dramatically changed for us yeah. um, in a lot of ways and we did not feel like we had the support that we had had in place prior to the adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my husband's unhappy in his job and he, it was really his idea that he came to me and said, there's a gap for families here. Mm-hmm. If we're feeling it, other families are feeling it too. Um, let's, let's start something like, can we, can we stand in that gap even just in a little small, tiny, tiny way? And so that's kind of the start of it. We started it with the intention of like, this is going to be really small and we'll just put our own money into it to get it started. And no big deal. We'll just give some grants um, for families to enroll in programs through like um, major hospitals around the country to review their referral with them. That's how we started. We were like, this won't actually give them the care once they come home, but it's a care that's like helping them decide if this is really right for their family and helping them think through what they need to be in place as they come home and how to get connected with the right specialists and all that thing, all those things. And it was a doable grant amount. Like these programs cost anywhere from maybe 500 to a thousand dollars. We were like, we can do that. Like that's, that's, that's doable. We'll just do that on a small scale. Um, but then, you know, we weren't, um, we weren't content with staying, <laughs> with staying small. Um, I, I went to a retreat, uh, for women, uh, adoptive moms that was in Atlanta that, um, used, used to be a really, you know, very big thing called creative for care. Um, a number of women who went with me came home and we all were meeting for coffee and realizing that there was nothing like that for couples. Mm. So I came home from that um, gathering and I said to my husband, um, I think I just signed us up to plan a marriage retreat. (laughs) He's like, "Uh, okay. (laughs) And so we grew um, to start hosting a marriage retreat that is um, called Together Called. Um, We do every spring now. Um, it's coming up in just a few weeks here in March, um, will be our eighth. If we don't count, um, our, our COVID cancellation, the weekend of, um, it was March 13th, 2020 when everything, Oh yeah, it was, so we canceled it hours before it start started while people were in flight on their way. It was very painful. So we're really looking forward to the one that's coming up in March. Um, So we added that. And um, just a few years ago in 2018, uh, we brought in um, counseling under the umbrella of together our um, Sparrow Fund as well. Um, I'm a master's level clinician. And so we started that program, um, an exclusive, um, kind of, tr- uh, treatment, therapeutic family services for foster and adoptive families. Oh, I love that. That is so, so needed that support once children are home and, and with in families, do you use, um, trust-based relational intervention or any of that? I am um, a TBRI practitioner, but TBRI is 
parenting strategies. Yeah. It's not um, therapy strategies. So mm-hmm. while we um, encourage parents with um, like how to practice uh, I would say TBRI congruent strategies because TBRI isn't all there is. They have right. like really, really good stuff. Um, but there's a lot more um, that's available too. It's it, TBRI is not the only one way to do things. Um, right. There's a lot of very consistent um, strategies to build connection with your family. So we do um, support families to practice those strategies, but um in the therapy space, TBRI is not actually like a, a therapeutic um, right. intervention or model. So you're working with children actually who need therapy. I work with children with parents. Children and I parents together. Children and parents together. I very rarely would ever have a session with ch- a child alone because in my view, um, the relationship is my client, yeah. not yeah not the child or the parents. So sometimes I do a lot of parent only work Mm -hmm. um, because sometimes that's enough um, to support the parents and um, empower them to be agents of healing in their family. Um, But as far as working with children, I only work with children with parents present um, to help their parents be the ones I want their parents to be their heroes. I don't want to be. Um, and I often say, I want to work myself out of a job. <laughs> so I would rather scaffold for the parents um, in the context of um, helping kids to understand their stories or um, helping their kids to deal with um, anxiety or uh giving and receiving affection or identifying feelings, all the things that we work on. I'd rather scaffold for the parents to do that work and then be able to kind of disappear a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Do you see, um, I talk about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder a lot on the show as a mom of two kids diagnosed with FAS. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you see a lot of children, um, you know, on the FASD spectrum? Um, How do you, if so, how are you equipping families um, with strategies um, Mm -hmm. with, with that? Yeah. Um, I would say I do not have expertise in FASD. Um, and I think it's really hard to manage and even understand it. I mean, I think you know that on a personal level yourself, um, of how difficult it is. And I think part of the reason for that is it, it expresses itself. It evidences itself in your lives in, in um, such a wide range of ways. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those expressions look like expressions of other things. Right. Absolutely. Right? So like um, it's hard to identify and it's probably the most common question that I'm asked by parents um, are, is like, is what we're seeing in our child right now, is it because of attachment? Is this because of um, adoption issues? Is this trauma? Is this personality? Is this sinfulness of man? Is this um, the effect of drugs or alcohol in utero or um, abuse, neglect? Like, what is this that we're seeing? Why is it? Um, And usually my answer in that case is, it's really hard not to know. And 
people are really complex and we, we yeah. can't like you're, it's all of those things. It's all. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Cause I know I'm, like I said, my, two, my two youngest teen boys are diagnosed FAS. And then when COVID hit um, mm-hmm. early in 2020 and school yeah. abruptly shut down um, my, especially my youngest son, who was 14 going on 15 at the time, um, really he needed, he, he thrives in structure and routine and school got shut down, right. That abruptly stopped and he needs to know what's going to happen before it happens. You know, that kind of came out of, you know, it really rocked his world. And then it was, uh, you know, maybe we'll go back in two weeks. Maybe, you know, it might be a month. Maybe there was just all these unknowns and he really began to struggle. And, you know, I was like, is this, is this because of COVID? Is this because right. of the Is this because right. of the FAS? Is this because of attack? Like, you know, right. and finally I came to the conclusion, yes, it is all of those yes. things. <laughs> yeah. This is like a perfect storm here. Um, but it did cause me, because I knew, you know, I, I'm I'm um I'm not a TBRI practitioner, but my husband and I became empowered to connect. Right. Um, uh, trainers to, for, for parents, you know, to train, to, to, sure. to do all that work. Um, so, you know, kind of doing good in all of those areas, understanding all of that, but what I really wasn't, um, well-versed in, even though I knew my kids were diagnosed with FAS, I really didn't know, um, a whole lot about FASD. I knew, I guess enough to get by initially, but when they become teenagers, Mm. You know, it's like a different ball game. Um, and then teenagers during COVID, right? So mm. it, it, I just, I took a deep dive in the summer of 2020 and began really researching and reading and listening to FASD specific podcasts and reading mm. articles and books and, you know, interviewing folks. And, and I began to really learn so much that I was like, well, I, I really wish I had known to do this earlier. Um, and, and now I'm in the process of, um, through, through facets, um, taking, taking the facilitator training as a year long training so that I can be a facilitator of the facets neurobehavioral model, because I see, um, while, while sometimes it's like, is this trauma? Is this FASD? But yet FAS is a trauma that occurred in utero, you know, so it's all intermingled, Um, but, but in the end, parents need to be trauma and FASD informed, um, and, and equipped right with all of those parenting tools. So, um, I love what you're doing and that you're being able to wrap around the family unit to really help parents and kids. Um, that's, that's such wonderful and necessary work, Kelly. Mm -hmm. I appreciate what you're doing there. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about um, the mar- the together called marriage retreats because you said one is coming up. Yes. Um, what what does what does the retreat look like? What are the what's the schedule of events? What do you do? Do you have a guest speaker? Yeah, we do. We we get a keynote speaker every year. This year we have Kurt Thompson mm-hmm. speaking, who's one of my favorite mm-hmm. people. Um, I I really um, appreciate his work. Um, as well as him as a person. Um, and so I'm, I'm personally really looking forward to the conference (laughs) just to spend some more time with him. Um, but I think the hallmark of together called is, and this may sound, um, this may sound funny, but this is the way I kind of describe it to people is 
we want to provide a Disney World type of experience um, for foster and adoptive parents. <laughs> so we try to go um, kind of above and beyond expectations. Um, we want to give them like a red carpet treatment. Um, I, I work really hard um, with my husband and our team um, to make it a very personal experience um, so that it feels a bit more like um, a retreat and less like a conference. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have exhibitors there. Um, we, we work very hard to connect with um, the people attending ahead of time during the weekend afterwards um, to help them to kind of carry over um, and provide a bit more of a community feel um, and to give them ways to connect with each other as a couple. Um, another hallmark that we, we <laughs> tried to do on our own in the beginning and my husband, Mark and I kind of failed at it is um, we want to give people opportunities to laugh. Mm. And we tried that ourselves in the <laughs> beginning and quickly realized that um, Mark and I are just not that funny. <laughs> We're just not so super funny. It's not our gift. Um, we have plenty of other gifts, but being funny is not one of them. Um, and so we have uh, some people on our, on our leadership team who their job there is um, to make people laugh um, mm -hmm. in kind of a, a young lifestyle uh, for those who might be familiar with, with Young Life, um, uh, I have a Young Life background, so does my husband. And so we, we kind of do a program that's a bit, um, you know, like a Young Lifestyle program in that we have characters and they do silly things. And we want people to laugh together. Um, mm -hmm. Something that my, my dad, who's been in ministry my whole life. He was on Young Life staff um, my whole life. And I remember him saying, even when I was a little girl, he would say to people he was training, um, you only laugh with friends. Um, and so it, it's a powerful, um, it's a powerful connecting tool mm -hmm. um, to give uh, couples a reason to laugh with each other and to laugh with other couples um, and to just, um, kind of um, let go of some of the things at home that are um, really hard and, and not, not to minimize them or make them smaller than they should be, but to give them um, an opportunity to experience enjoyment and um, to be poured into so that they could pour out um, maybe in a, in a way that doesn't feel quite as hard when they go home. Yeah. It sounds like a wonderful self-care for couples. I hope so. I, 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 I want that. I, I um, hope that it feels like that. I, I think it does. I think it does. It's there's some practical opportunities, some workshops and things offered um, for more practical learning. But um, I think that most people coming home, th those things are like icing. They're not like the meat of it. I think um, mainly they just feel cared for. And that's really the, the intention behind the event. I love that. So this will air too late for listeners to get in on this year's um, right. retreat. But if our listeners want to learn more, maybe find out about when the next retreat is, how do they go about finding that out? 
That's a really good question because we fill super fast. <laughs> so um, we limit the attendance to about 200 people intentionally to kind of keep that community feel. Um, and this year we have, um, I think, couples from 13 different states coming. Wow. Um, but registrations in October and it filled in about 36 hours. Um, now we have a waiting list. And as you know, with foster and adoptive families, things change yeah. and they change fast. Yeah. You know, a family that's been waiting for a long time can suddenly get a placement or, you know, a family um, that needs childcare, uh, something can change with their childcare or they don't feel like a child that they thought would be emotionally ready for them to leave is not quite ready or um, they're not ready to leave their children, all the various things. So yeah. we do maintain a waiting list and tend to, to see a good bit of movement on that. But for families, for couples who might be interested, I'd say follow us on social media, sign up for our mailing list. We give lots of like heads up when the registration's happening. Um, and then they can register early to make sure they get a spot or they can always add themselves to the waiting list in case they miss that window. Yeah. And they would go to your website. Give us your website. Yes. Sparrowfund.org. Sparrow and there's, there's a specific page that talks about together called that's there. Yeah. Wonderful. So I uh, will make sure that we include a link to your website and our show notes for this episode. Um, so our listeners can definitely go there and check out more. You are based in what state? Good question. I realized as you were saying that, I was like, I don't think I talked about where this is. I said, where are you? <laughs> from 13 different states, but they don't know where they're going. Um, <laughs> we are in the Philadelphia area and we okay. go to a ski resort for the um, marriage retreat, but we get the, a weekend that's kind of at the end of ski season, but not quite at wedding season, which is kind of their off season way to... Um, use their beautiful space. And so we take over the entire space. Wow. We're the only ones here. Um, and we love it for that reason. It's a beautiful resort, but just the right size that we can kind of fill it and um, still feel like we're able to talk to almost everybody there. It's not so big um, that you get lost. Wonderful. So that is the together called parents retreat. Yes. Foster and adoptive parents. Yes. Uh, and our listeners can learn more at sparrowfund.org. We will include a link, like I mentioned. Um, I love Kelly, all that you're doing to support families. And I can relate to feeling isolated and alone after our first international adoption. Mm -hmm. um, we were a big family and we were actually, well, we were, we had four kids before we adopted internationally and then like doubled the size of our, like we had, went from four to kids, to seven kids, then to eight kids. So, <laughs> right. You know, and we were actually in a church at the time where there were a lot of large families. So right. that wasn't unusual, but we had kids with trauma um, right. and the parenting had to become completely different. And, and we were surrounded by people who didn't, I mean, initially we didn't even know that, right. Yeah. How to do that. So um, I really appreciate all, all that you are doing and um, that wraparound care that's that Sparrow Fund provides um, mm. is vital for families. So most of our listeners to this podcast are adoptive foster and kinship caregivers. So mm -hmm. as we wrap up, Kelly, what is on your heart? What would you really like our listeners to hear today? That's such a weighted, such a weighted question, isn't it? Um, 
like everything can be whittled down to like one thing. And it's so hard because I think what I would probably prefer to do is like have a conversation with every one of your listeners (laughs) rather than um, whittle it down to one thing. And um, I guess when I think about um, like a a closing word or what I'd want them to hear is um, hurts that happen in the context of relationships are the hardest hurts, mm-hmm. but healing can happen in the context of relationships. And that's where the most um, long lasting, real, true healing can happen. Um, so in light of that, I, I think with that message, it's kind of a message of like, there is always hope for something Mm. it may not be um the family that you imagined or like the connections or relationships in your family that maybe you pictured um going into whatever it is that you went into whether that's kinship or foster care private infant domestic or international i mean there's so many ways to grow our families um but the idea of um, relationships are worth it and that there is hope for some forward movement, even if it doesn't look the way that you pictured it would. Mm, I love that. Words of wisdom right there. So th- mm. thank you. I know it's a, it was a loaded question. Hard to, hard to put it, wrap it's it up. So into hard. A, it's so hard. <laughs> tiny package, but you did a great job with it. So thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Offering encouragement and hope. That's what we need, right? To stay the course of the journey. And so thank you for that. And Kelly, thank you so much for sharing your story. So inspiring and love all that you're doing um, to support families on this, this journey. We know, we know how hard it is and and, and we need that support. So thank you so much for joining us and being on the show today. It was, it's an absolute honor to be invited um, and to be given like, given the permission to share your space with you is an honor. So thank you. Well, thank you. It's an honor to have you on. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening. I hope you were inspired by Kelly's story and all that she shared. Uh, like I mentioned, we will include the links to the Sparrow Fund in the show notes so you can easily find it. Um, and if you've enjoyed this podcast, make sure that you uh, subscribe so that it drops in your on your device every week, every Monday, uh, and be sure to be, stay tuned for next week's show where I'm going to be sharing about the trials and triumphs of parenting teens with FASD. Uh, we also have several other wonderful guests lined up uh, to bring to you in the coming weeks as well. Uh, so be sure to subscribe and leave a review because that's very helpful too. Uh, you can check out my family's adoption and kinship journey uh, in my book, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father. It's available wherever you buy books. Uh, and if you do purchase it on Amazon, um, I would greatly appreciate it if you would go on in there and leave a review after you read it up to 57 reviews. I'm hoping to surpass that, maybe make it to 100, and you can help us to do that. Uh, But if you'd like a signed copy, I would be happy to sign one and uh, pop it into the mail to you personally. So you can order a signed copy from my website, sandraflack.com. And there you can also learn more about me, read my blog, 
uh, which I write directly to you, our listeners who are fellow adoptive foster and kinship uh, families. Uh, and you can contact me for speaking opportunities. I would value the opportunity. Would love to come and spend some time with you um, at your um, adoptive and foster uh, parent support group, retreat, um, conference, whatever you're doing. Um, would love an opportunity to come and share. So you can reach out to me for, um, for that. Uh, and if I, I would also like to give a shout out to uh, the sponsors that make all of what we do at Justice for Orphans possible, especially our Care Portal program, which is now in three counties. So I would like to give a shout out to our Care Portal County sponsors, Tri-Nuclear Corporation, Bishop Bowdry Construction, and National Bank of Kuksaki. These businesses care about children and families in crisis, and they help us do what we do to support them. Don't forget to check out our website, justicefororphansny.org, where you can learn more about all of what we do with Care Portal. Uh, we also have some great FASD resources and trauma resources. You can find those on our website as well. And follow us on social media. Justice for Orphans has both the Facebook and Instagram page. And you can find me, Sandra Flack, also both on Facebook and Instagram. And I am grateful you spent your valuable time with us today. I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to Orphans No More, for sharing what you've heard and praying for vulnerable children everywhere. We hope you are inspired to walk out James 127 in whatever way God calls you. For more information, visit justicefororphansny.org.